Doing a daily Bible devotional has been the best thing that I've done for myself. My time in the Old Testament only proves to me again and again and again that the heart of man is deceitfully wicked above all things. When I'm reading the New Testament, I read it within the context of when Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Everything in the New Testament is just an expansion of one of those two thoughts. Those are the two lenses through which I think with my mouth open as I read through the Old and New Testaments. Join me, won't you, for another adventure in Coffee, the Bible, and Page. Get your coffee and your Bible and join me, won't you? Greetings and salutations. Welcome to another episode of Coffee, the Bible, and Page. I am Page, your caffeine-imbued host, and you know it. Here's my coffee. Ah, Say it with me. In the beginning, coffee. And lo, it was very good. Today we're going to continue on in 1 Samuel, and we're going to get to the incredible story of David and Goliath. I've been waiting for this one. And I learned some cool little things about this story that I didn't know the last time. So let's just jump right into it. Let's read it. And as usual, I will think with my mouth open. And as a reminder to those folks who are listening, uh, God bless you for listening. If this blesses you in any way, shape, or form, I'm, I'm incredibly honored. But I'm not doing this for you. I'm doing this for me. This is Paige doing Paige's devotionals. And so my thoughts may not be your thoughts, but as I read through these chapters devotionally, um, the Lord just stirs things up inside of me that may directly relate to what we're talking about, and sometimes it may be hard to make the connection. But regardless, it's what the Lord is stirring up inside me to deal with. And as we read through this, these chapters, um, you're just getting an inside look at how my brain works, and that might frighten some of you. But uh, again, I'm not a theologian. Uh, my edu- my degrees in ed- education and music were not related to the Bible. So I'm just a blue-collar guy reading through the Bible, trying to apply Psalms 1, which says, Blessed is the man uh, who delights in the law of the Lord. In it he meditates day and night. And when he does this, the psalmist goes on to say, he'll be like a tree planted by streams of living water. Leaves don't wither. Everything he does prospers. I kind of like that. So I'm going to mutter aloud to myself, i.e. thinking with my mouth open, as I go through this. So let's take a look at chapter 17, starting to talk about David. Now, the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Soko in Judah. They pitched camp at Ephes Damim between Soko and Azekah. These names, I'm sorry for those of my brothers and sisters who are of Jewish extraction and can un- and pronounce these things. I'm sure I'm offending some of you. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the Valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. Now, the Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another, with the valley between them. Now a champion named Goliath, 
who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. Think about nine and a half feet tall. Now, there are some uh, discrepancies in some uh, of the documents that we translate the, the, this from. Some documents say he was only a little over four cubits, which would make him six and a half feet tall, which would still be a huge man in those days when the average man was probably 5'8", five, 5'9". Five, but regardless, a big man, a fearsome man. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he wore a coat of scale armor, a bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves, and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and his iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield-bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come up and line up for battle? <laughs> Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man, have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistines said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Well, here's the deal. There was a custom among military uh, battles sometimes that it would be settled by contest between champions of each camp. Rather than risk wholesale slaughter of armies, they would, uh, sometimes armies would choose a champion, the champion would fight it out, and the, the outcome of that battle between those two people would determine the conflict. That's what Goliath is challenging them with. He's saying, I'm the Philistines champion. Send me your champion. Let us settle it. And Israel, rightfully so, they were frightened. I don't blame them. This, he must have been an absolutely fearsome looking opponent. Goliath also is hurling the challenge of representative combat into the teeth of the Israelite army. The Philistines, Goliath thinks, he'll win quick because who can challenge him? He's a giant, right? Uh, having thrown down the gauntlet, the Philistine challenger at first had no takers. In fact, Saul and his troops were dismayed and terrified, according to this Bible study Bible I'm reading. Barring the response of an Israelite hero, Goliath would win by default. And the Philistines would continue to be Israel's masters. In other words, by making this challenge, he was forcing Israel's hands to send one man out against him. And the Philistines were absolutely certain that Israel did not have one champion that could best their champion. And by hurling this challenge out, he is drawing the lines about how this battle is going to go. One champion against one champion. The, the results of that battle would determine who would serve the other. There's a lot on the line here. Now, David 
was the son of an Ephrathite named Jesse, who was from Bethlehem in Judah. Jesse had eight sons, and in Saul's time, he was very old. Jesse is. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to war. The first was Eliab, the second Abinadab, and the third Shammah, and David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. Even though Saul had, in the previous chapter, see Saul inviting him to court to be an armor bearer, it wasn't a full-time gig for David at this point. Uh, he was still going back and forth from home to the palace. Um, David perhaps was too young? Um, don't know. I remember he was first recommended to Saul by his Saul's advisors because he could play the harp and soothe Saul when the evil spirit would come on him and, and it would just drive the spirit away and give Saul relief. So he was a uh, uh, primarily, even the Saul, it mentioned about Saul having him as an armor bearer, his primary purpose was to play music for Saul, but it was a very part-time thing because he still had his work to do at home. So for 40 days, the Philistine came forward every morning and evening, took a stand. Now Jesse said to his son David, Take this ephah of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these ten cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. There was Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. Early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of a shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle position, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines, facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies and ran to the battle lines and asked his brothers how they were. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. And whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. Now, the Israelites have been saying, Do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. David asked the men standing near him, What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Well, notice the contrast between the attitudes of David and the men of Israel. Men of Israel call Goliath this man. David calls him this uncircumcised Philistine. David's indignant. They say that Goliath has come out to defy Israel. David says he's come out to defy the armies of the living God. They refer to Goliath's potential victor as the man who kills him. David refers to him as the man who kills this Philistine and removes his disgrace from Israel. In short, the men of Israel see a fearsome giant who is reproaching Israel. David sees merely an uncircumcised Philistine who's defying the living God. This is the difference between a man of faith and someone of no faith. Someone who has no faith sees the outside. The man of faith sees the inside. You know, remember how we see it all the time. It says God does not uh, look on the outside of a man to judge him. but he, he sees his heart. That's the way David sees Goliath. 
He's not looking at the outside, this giant of a man with these fearsome weapons and, and strong and powerful. He sees the heart, and the heart of Goliath is dead. He's an enemy of God and is no match for the power of God. That's the man of faith as opposed to the man of no faith, if you will. They repeated to him what they'd been saying and told him, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. Now when Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger and asked, why have you come down here? With whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Now what have I done? Said David, can't I even speak? All right, this is obviously a jealous older brother because you remember Samuel had come to their home previous to this and with the express purpose of anointing the person who would be the next king of Israel from the father's household. Eliab was the oldest. I'm sure that Eliab would have thought that he would have been in the running for this. In fact, Samuel even thought that when he first saw him. He said, Surely this is the Lord's anointed. But God said no. And he went through everything until he came to David, anointed David. So Eliab, as an older brother, is probably a little bitter and resentful of David, you think? Um, David is, in righteous indignation, implicitly offers himself to fight Goliath. Just by the language he's using in describing Goliath, he's 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 bowing up. He's standing up. And says, "Who is this uncircumcised Philistine?" He's talking like a warrior that's ready for battle, not like the men who were running in fear, which included his brothers. I might add, he is acting with the bravery that his brothers were not displaying. Mm. You remember how? Uh, in Genesis, we talked about Joseph, how his old, how his older brothers reacted to him having a dream, saying that they would be, that he would one day be superior to them, and that they would bow their knee to him, and how angry with them they threw him in the pit, sold him into slavery. That's kind of the same thing is happening here with Eliab and David. Eliab, mistakenly, I'm sure, thought he had a shot at being the next king of Israel, but it wasn't him. It was his younger brother, David. So David turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter, and the men answered him as before. Now what David said was overheard and reported to Saul. You can imagine that conversation. King, there's someone who is speaking very defiantly against this Goliath. Saul sent for him, and David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go fight him. Now he's explicitly talking about going to fight. Saul replied, you're not able to go out against a Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man. And he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it. I struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair. I struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the power, paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, 
Go, and the Lord be with you. Hmm. Now that is an interesting response. First thought that comes to mind, what changed Saul's mind? You can't go fight him. You're just a kid. That's what he was saying. But then when David stood his ground and confidently asserted what he asserted, was it the fact that David had fought and killed lions and bears? That's no small thing. All right, if he as a young man had fought and killed lions and bears in defense of his sheep. And I, I'm using my imagination here, but I'm thinking there are no scars. David isn't carrying a body full of scars, which you would think would happen maybe if a lion attacked him. So this would be proof of his agility, his power, his presence of mind in in a state of battle. Um this would demonstrate his abilities in a dangerous encounter. I mean, if you can kill a lion and a bear, you're obviously very quick. And Saul had to at least think that when he looked at this ponderous giant who's relying on strength alone, that someone who is very quick and agile might actually have a shot at this guy. Plus the fact that David was so stinking confident Ah, you see, Saul in the beginning thought about only in terms of what was humanly possible. He had nobody that could match the stature, strength of Goliath. Well, David's approach is confidence in the Lord. The Lord will deliver me. He delivered me from the lion. He delivered me from the bear. I killed the lion. I killed the bear. Now, when David did that, he didn't have a sword. I wouldn't think he might have had a spear. But we're going to find out that he had probably one of the more dangerous weapons in that era, the sling. Later on, we're going to find out when David becomes king. Hope that's not a, a, a spoiler alert for you. But when, when David became king, he actually established in his army a platoon of men who, were, who used the slingshot. And they trained and became incredibly lethal and accurate. A slingshot can be a violent, violent weapon if understood and used correctly. So maybe Saul sees David's confidence. He sees the fact that David, obviously, if he could kill a lion and a bear, that he might actually stand a shot against this clumsy uh, or at least ponderous warrior named Goliath. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. He said, I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. Now, here's one thing that I, I, I discovered that I didn't realize. Well, sometimes a king will send a warrior into battle wearing something that belongs to the king. And then when that warrior succeeds and conquers and defeats the enemy, a portion, if not all, of the credit of that would go to the king because he had a part in that because he gave a piece of some of his armor or his sword or his helmet or whatever. Uh, so Saul offers David his armor, his sword. And if David would have gone in and won with those things 
Everybody said, well, he won because the king gave him his sword. The king gave him his, his armor. And that victory would be Saul's, not David's. But David says, no, I can't. I'm just, he go, he take off, he took, he took a staff, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag. And with the sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. The battle is getting ready to be started. Now, Saul might very well have been well-intentioned in wanting to give this young man a shot. He was thinking in terms of conventional battle. You know, this kid needs armor. He doesn't have armor. He's a shepherd. I'll let him use my armor. Um, David was thinking with the mind of the Lord in this. Saul was thinking with the mind of man. Mm. And with that thought, he strides forward. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with the shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over. You could just see the amazement on this man's face and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said, am I a dog? Do you come at me with sticks? David had a staff. And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said. I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. <sighs> Together with his aide carrying a large shield, his, his aide actually held the shield in front of Goliath. Goliath didn't carry his shield. His aide did. The huge Goliath must have considered himself invincible. He failed to understand, however, that he and his shield bearer were no match for David and God. Apparently ignoring David's sling, Goliath perceived that David was coming to fight against him with sticks, like a staff. You're only going to come against him with a staff, and he has a sword, he has a shield, he has a spear, a javelin. Um, he didn't even consider the possibilities of the deadly effect that David carried in that little shepherd's pouch, those five round stones. And he then cursed David by his gods, Dagon. All right? Goliath made this a battle between his gods and Yahweh. That's a dangerous, dangerous, dangerous assumption. When someone who is ungodly chooses to face off against someone who is walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. Mm. Poor form, Goliath. Poor form. David said to the Philistine, and he's going to one-up him. Remember when the Philistine said, am I a dog? You come at me. I'll give you flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David one-ups him. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword, spear, javelin. I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I will strike you down and cut off your head. This very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. Wow. This is a statement of a man totally sure of himself and God, totally sure of the God he serves, 
and full of righteous indignation that someone would dare to say that their God is mightier than the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the one who can't, the one who came, the the one who, and, and will come again, the one who is the author of life, Yahweh, Jehovah, the I Am, the the audacity that this fake stone idol of yours could even be mentioned in the same breath as the God of Israel. He is indignant and filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. David's response, a response of someone totally convinced of God's power, might, and faithfulness to his students, to his servants. Goliath is on perilous ground. He has defied the armies of Israel. Thus, he's defied the armies of the living God, tantamount to defying God himself. You know, this world does not understand the power of our God. It doesn't know the power of our God. The Philistines had had continuing success as an army against Israel. And Goliath, you can see in his arrogance, I don't know if he'd ever been beaten in battle. And he's insulted that Israel would send out this boy. This boy is armed with the power of God and a faith in God that is insurmountable. This makes David different than Saul in a whole bunch of ways. Saul had no relationship with God. It sure looks to me like David does, and that's the difference. Anxious to get on with the contest, and, and this is the other thing. David wasn't afraid to get in there and mix it up. He didn't dance around measuring his opponent, it looks like. It looks like he he was anxious to get it on. He was anxious to get in there and get started on this battle. He asserts that Goliath is going to be killed this day. He'll cut off the giant's head. All who hear will know that God of Israel is the only true God. In addition, they will know that the Lord, not weapons of war or a human instrument, is the true deliverer. The battle belongs to God alone. David concludes by warning that God would give you into our hands, thus reminding Goliath of his own early intention that the battle was indeed representative warfare the results of which would be have profound implications. And the Philistine, it says here, the Philistine moved closer to attack him. David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. <laughs> he ran towards danger. He ran towards the giant. He didn't stand in fear and just kind of hope that God, it, he was, he ran into battle. Undeterred, Goliath moved closer to attack David, who wasted no time in running forward to meet him. He ran towards his enemy. You know, I, I'm, a, I'm a fan of boxing. And the one thing that almost always separates champions from others in the boxing world is that almost every champion I've ever watched fight, they move toward, they're continually moving towards their opponent. Um, it said you box a boxer and you punch a puncher. Um, you run towards them and you run at their strength. There, there's a very famous boxing match between Tommy Hearns and Sugar Ray Leonard. T 
Tommy Hearns had dynamite in his hands. He knocked his right hand. He knocked so many people out. And when uh, and when uh, Sugar Sugar uh, when Tommy Hearns and Sugar Ray fought each other. Oh my gosh! Ray had to become a puncher to overcome the effect of Tommy Hearns punching ability and he ended up knocking him out but he went at him David went at Goliath he ran towards Goliath alright as the Philistine moved closer to attack him David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him reaching into his bag taking out a stone he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead the stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground now I, I've read various accounts it's quite probable that the armor of the Philistine had a helmet and it had like a circular part right here in the middle where so his eyes could see and a piece that covered like his nose, right? But it, there, there'd be an area like this around the helmet and David had to nail that guy right here through his helmet right in the opening of his helmet. If it hit anywhere else, it would not have done any damage. But he hit him right in the forehead and he fell face down on the ground, unconscious, or at least disabled somewhat. So David triumphed over the Philistine with the sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. Think about this for a minute. The Philistine's coming forward. He's got his, his javelin in his hand. And David is running. And as David's running, he pulls a stone out, puts it in a sling, whips it around his head and whap, and lets it go and nailed him right there. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the sheath. He took the Philistine's sword. Now remember, Saul wanted to send him in battle with his sword. He took the Philistine's own sword and cut off his head. He killed it. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. So Goliath was not dead yet. Now, I don't know if that meant he was struggling on the ground, trying to get back up quickly. I don't know. But David took his sword and killed Goliath and cut off his head. Now, interesting here, it says later that um, Goliath's head was later claimed as his trophy of war, David's trophy of war, and his sword became a battlefield trophy owned by David. Um, this shepherd became a violent, violent soldier. David was capable of violence. Very frightening. When the Philistines saw their hero was dead, they turned and ran. Then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and to the gates of Ekron. Their dead were strewn along the Shadrim road to Gath and Ekron. And when the Israelites returned from chasing the Philistines, they plundered their camp. David took the Philistines' head and brought it to Jerusalem. This is an important thought here. He put the Philistines' weapon in his own tent. Now, David's role in plundering is what a soldier would do in a situation like that. He put Goliath's weapons in his own tent. 
he proceeded to put Goliath's head in public display. He took it to Jerusalem, which is a city that was not yet under Israel's control. All right, they were an enemy of Israel. He took Goliath's head to Jerusalem and displayed it there, putting the Jebusites, who, owned, who were controlling Jerusalem, on notice that just as the Philistine had fallen to David, their turn would be next, or soon. Jerusalem's demise was certain. It's only a matter of time. He probably did it under the cover of night to avoid detection. He probably affixed Goliath's head to Jerusalem's wall. Uh, it's David was, David acted the part of a warrior. David wasn't this shy little shepherd boy. David, he was a warrior. As Saul watched David going out to meet the Philistine, now again, we're looking back at the beginning of the battle with the Philistine. He said to Abner, commander of the army, Abner, who, whose son is that man? Abner replied, as surely as you live, your majesty, I don't know. The king said, find out whose son this young man is. Now, that's kind of curious because hasn't he already brought him on as an armor bearer? Okay, well, this, this, if you put this in a slightly different context, it makes a little bit of sense. Saul's question may have been prompted by concerns about the social status of someone who might receive the position promised, you know, marrying his daughter, etc. Um... David was only part-time around Saul. Saul had a lot of people around him. And he would show up to play the harp and to chase the, the evil spirits away. And perhaps that gentle, quiet nature, David, who played the harp, Saul might have been very much in astonishment at what he saw here. Who is that guy? And I, I'm in my head, I'm going... Is this the same kid who plays harp for me? Is this the same kid who helps me when the evil spirits come by playing the harp, by playing music, and he just slayed the mightiest champion of the Philistines? The king said, find out who this young man is. Hmm. The intensity of Saul's interest might also be due to the fact that Samuel had told him the kingdom would be taken away and given to someone who is a neighbor of yours who is better than you. Maybe he's starting to see David as a possibility of being a rival. See, Saul was not walking with God. So paranoia is part of his makeup. Now, as soon as David returned from killing the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul, with David still holding the Philistine's head. Whose son are you, young man? Saul asked him, he said, David said, I am the son of your servant Jesse of Bethlehem. Now, can you imagine that moment? Imagine that moment. Who are you? Oh, I, you know, I'm the son of your servant Jesse of Bethlehem. It, it, it's inferred, um, I'm the same guy who's been playing harp for you. And he saw a side of David that must have absolutely blown him away. When the Spirit of God comes on a person like it came on David, like he came on David, powerful things happen. David was obviously in relationship with God. You read the Psalms. A lot of the Psalms he wrote from his experiences as a shepherd, 
um, he was a shepherd. But he had, he had the ability and propensity for incredible violence when called upon. You know, I, I saw a quote here uh, by a psychologist. I wish I could remember his name. But he was being interviewed. And he is of the opinion that a man should be dangerous. Not meek, not mild. That a man should be dangerous. But he should also have the strength to only let that part of him come out when necessary. I think his word was, a man should be a monster. He should be feared. But he should also be in control of that part of his nature and only let the monster come out when the monster was necessary. Not sure I totally agree with that, but that's kind of what I see happening here with David. Here's this kid who plays the harp, this gentle, soothing music that relieves Saul when the evil spirits came. And what Saul just saw on that battlefield must have absolutely blown him away. This this kid? Who who is this kid? Oh, I'm I'm the son of your servant Jesse of Bethlehem. I think Saul was getting his first glimpse of his soon-to-come rival. Don't know. Hmm. More story coming later. All right, with that, I'm going to stop, ladles and jelly spoons. Um, I'm Paige. Here's my coffee. And lo, it's still very good. I'll see you later. Have a great day. Bye-bye. So, what did you think about today's Bible devotional? Email me and let me know your thoughts at ff.com og at me.com.